I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. For you and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. On this podcast, it is my pleasure and honor to have the great John Five. Hello, John. How are you, sir? I am well, Tom. How are you? I'm well. We have uh, been rock brothers for a long time, and I've enjoyed your rock on the stage and in person many, many times. But one of the things I enjoy most is discussing rock with you. Yes, I am, you know, I'm so happy to be on your show. I've been, obviously, as you know, a massive, massive fan of yours ever since you, you know, walked on a stage. So from Coconut Teaser to <laughs> all that, I've always been, you know, just such a huge, huge, you've been such a great inspiration. And I've been, I'm so happy to be on the show. So right on. Well, thanks, John. So what, what we're doing with this round of the Maximum Fire podcast is, you know, the whole idea I had to begin doing this was, it was during lockdown when I couldn't go hang out at the Rainbow Bar and Grill with friends and discuss and debate rock and roll topics. So that's how it started. And then it sort of it goes in a lot of different directions, but we're going back to the structured conversation of the back booth of the Rainbow. And so on this particular episode, we're going to be talking about making a top 10 list of uh, the 10 best instrumental rock and roll jams. So we're leaving the lead singers behind for the next, you know, 25 minutes or so. And um, we're going to uh, discuss that. So I'm going to let you take the take the floor. And uh, what is in, in no particular order? What is one of your favorite instrumental rock songs and why? I would say one of my favorite instrumental rock songs, I would probably have to say Far Beyond the Sun, Ingbe Malmsteen. Sure, sure. And the reason why is whenever I hear guitar players or instrumental songs, I want it to be like this life-changing experience, like this epiphany, you know, this light shining down on me that's going to change my life forever. And that was one of the songs that did it for me. And um, it was just a whole different thing. And it was just something that I really haven't heard before. And, you know, I loved Eddie Van Halen and Hendrix and Rhodes and all this stuff. But this was just something that really just changed my life. And that's what I look in with guitar players. I just want that just um, epiphany. And so does a million other fans out there. We need people like that to just totally change the game. Like when I first heard you, I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. This is a whole new level. Ingve's introduction to the world with that song and that record, it was game changing. I, I remember, I wouldn't say that I thought that I had heard it all before, but I never, it was so, for listeners who may not be that, Ingve Malmsteen is a, a Swedish born a shredding guitar player who melded like sort of the technique of a concert violinist right. with a heavy metal guitar player. He had all of the skills of a top notch violin player in the LA Philharmonic but then was playing rock and roll songs with it. And I remember listening to that record too, and then reading the interviews, and it made me go out. I went to the public library to research Niccolo Paganini, who was, he cited as his principal influence, who was this centuries deceased 
classical violinist who had played with kind of the fire and brimstone that he did on the guitar. I was like, wow, like that's something that could be an influence. Because almost at the time, while Randy Rhodes and, and Richie Blackmore had had one foot in the world of classical music, there was really a firewall between hard rock and the world of classical music. It's not like we were going out there with Bach records, you know, studying, studying those until Ingve. And that was just like, wow, that we can begin looking at virtuosity on other instruments and try to bring it into, you know, our world of hard rock. And it sounds so good when you play these kind of, you know, these arpeggios or these diminished runs or things that are being played on the violin or harpsichord or anything like that. It sounds so good through distortion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> An F sharp, you know, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds rad. And Ingve was doing all of this when he was so young. That's right. It's really like, and you don't see it often, but when you see greatness and it's just something that is so natural to someone. Yeah. It's very rare. And I love it with sports or with art or with music or anything, but I love to see someone that's very special and just different from everyone else. Yeah, he clearly was. And the lesson there for sort of younger musicians is to, you know, follow your own muse in a way that uh, discover the own best version of yourself. My great uncle, Carlo Morello, played in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra for 40 years. He was a violin player. Remember, as a kid, he was around the house practicing scales. And then I later had a love for rock and roll, and I never connected the two in any way. I was like, he was in another sort of world that was not the kind of music that I could enjoy. But then I reflected back on those times, and if only I had paid closer attention to Carlo's <laughs> practice regimen around the house. All right, I'm going to give you my first. First one on my list is uh, Jimi Hendrix's Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. And the way that, again, it, it took something that was a very familiar, like with Yngwie, it was like electric guitar is familiar, but we heard it in a new way. He took something that was very, very familiar, the Star Spangled Banner, and turned it on its head. At a defining moment for a generation at Woodstock in that early morning, he channeled the race riots of the 60s, the effervescent like spirit of kind of like hope and freedom. The bombs of the Vietnam War were all coming through his guitar and his amplifier to the tune of the national anthem. He took this melody that we're all very familiar with and forever changed the way we would think about hearing maybe any melody that now was fair game for a reinterpretation by a genius. Absolutely. And something, you know, a lot of people took offense or yes. taken offense. Yes, and yes. That was a major, major decision. He was probably contemplating this for who knows, maybe a long time. Maybe he had this idea because that's quite a statement. What he did and at that time, it couldn't be more perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it couldn't have been more perfect. It's not like he did that at every show no. or anything like that. It was like the morning of Woodstock. Everybody was kind of waking up and it was like, here it comes. And I have chills right now because I remember watching, it was our cable. When cable first came out, they were playing Woodstock and they played yeah. Scarface and things like that. Uh, only a few movies, but I remember I stayed home from school just to watch X. I love Jimi Hendrix so much, yeah. and I couldn't believe it. I was like so shocked, like yeah, you know, yeah. Any <laughs> moments? What an important thing that that will live on forever. I mean, smart is that to have that idea? That's the inspired moment. The inspired moment is to think to do that. 
<laughs> and then and then the execution is crazy, but just like sort of the idea to do that is pretty outrageous. Wouldn't it be funny if it wasn't even his idea, but it was like friend's idea? <laughs> Hey, Jimmy, you know what you should do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll give it a run. I'll see if I can figure out the notes. Yeah. All right, so what's your what's your next one on your list? I would have to say the audience is listening, Steve Vai. When that album came out, Passion Warfare, I was like, that record was so perfect. And the production and the writing, I mean, you listen to that record and you're like, oh my God. I mean, for me, it was like that. And the video and everything, I just think that song with the groove, everything like that, the riff, the flash, and him with the video is so smart of him being like a kid. Yeah. going to be a rock and roll guitar player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that was like so smart. And I just loved that song. And I mean, I loved Sivai from... David Lee Roth and Flexible and mm -hmm. all that stuff. But I think that record and that song was a major, major turning point for me of writing instrumental music. Sure, sure, and sure. It still influences me today, that song, to write certain kinds of uh, instrumental songs. And because an instrumental song, you're trying to entertain and being an instrumentalist and writing instrumental songs, it's a hard sell. You know, it's like sure. ice cream in the winter. So <laughs> some people want it. Some yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> you know? so songs like that. You really, you're like, wow. Even somebody that doesn't play guitar could listen to something like that and love it. And it was that moment where, like, there was a Joe Satriani record that came before that. You know, where all of a sudden, those of us who were practicing eight hours a day, it seemed like you didn't have to necessarily find a genius front man to have a career in music. And I was like, man, like there's a path here for just playing great music that doesn't need to be attached to pomp and circumstance and to have, you know, and I just really love that too. So that's a, that's a great choice. For me, it was the song Blue Powder, which was the, which was the, the flexi disc inside of a guitar magazine or whatever. That's, that was my introduction to Steve Vai, where I just, my mind was blown. But anyway, so my number two on my list of uh, our top, 10 favorite rock instrumentals is a song called Moby Dick by Led Zeppelin. There's a caveat with this one. First of all, I just think that it was such an outrageous idea to take up four and a half minutes of real estate, you know, the a biggest band in the world with their record that is now pushing them over the top. There's a four minute drum solo on that, on that record. And for me, the highlight of that song is the riff. You know, like that is a badass riff on that. But I'll put that one up there as just sort of a, a wonderfully sort of audacious moment, highlighting probably the greatest drummer in the history of rock and roll and like giving him his time on Led Zeppelin too. Absolutely. And when you think of Led Zeppelin, you think of the four guys and Robert Plant singing and all that stuff, but they had so many great instrumentals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Page and doing all those amazing, amazing acoustic instruments. Sure, sure. Yep, yep. Oh, my God. I mean, I can listen to them and it just sounds like it's a sound you can see. It's so yeah. visual. It, yeah, it sounds it, like sun and, and... Yeah, it transports you to... Yeah, it really like transports oh. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that's so special to me. But yeah, they were... They were doing instrumentals early on. I mean, Led Zeppelin too. I mean, yeah, I that. just putting it on there, taking up that real estate. 
This is a union town, a union town, all down the line. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. My guest today is John Five. It's a free-for-all conversation about our favorite rock instrumentals. Uh, all right, what's your next, uh, your next instrumental song? I would say something close to Steve Vai. That was, was something that was another great moment for me. An incredible songwriter incredible songwriter is uh joe satriani satch boogie okay sure yeah yeah oh my god like <laughs> that is like you hear that you can just like be uh just a guy walking down the street and you hear that it's got such a groove to it and such a an incredible riff and so much great playing that's like a song that to me was just like wow, this is like just a, a, another level as well. To take something of crazy guitar playing and and make it into a radio hit. Yeah, yeah. The chances. What, <laughs> what the ch sl slim to not, maybe that was a gold record. I think like it was an instrumental. Go I don't know that that had happened before. You know, maybe, maybe one of those Jeff Beck records back in the day, but it was a hit. It was a big radio hit. It's crazy. I learned about him first from an interview with Steve Vai. I think he was playing in the David Lee Roth band at the time. And, you know, I was a huge fan of that record and of Steve Vai and hung on his every word. And he said, he said, dude, like I had a guitar teacher. Get ready because the guy who taught me to play guitar, he's coming and you're going to lose your mind. I thought you had a guitar teacher right. and that guy Mason is making a record. Well, I'll be there. You know, I'm, I'm going to be front of the queue for that one. And it was Joe Satriani. Yeah, the best. So great. I mean, radio, radio hit. Like, that's a rarity. I don't think that's happened since Frankenstein. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, that one came close to making my list, too. Uh, so my my next one is going to be, this was a, it's, you know, sort of borderline in the world of rock. It was hugely influential to me in the song that I must have jammed along to a thousand times when I was practicing. It is Mediterranean Sundance by Al Miola, but the version on Friday night in San Francisco, where it is a guitar duel between Al Miola, John McLaughlin, and Paco de Lucia. And I gotta tell you, if you are a fan of guitar playing and you have not heard that, it is three of the greatest guitar players on the planet at the height of their powers, going at it with a level of artistry and technique and beauty and feeling, which is just, it's unbelievable. I'm like so glad they just had the microphones going that night. It's this kind of like flamenco shredding extravaganza of like you feel like you're at a Brazilian carnival and in a mosh pit at the same time and guys that are clearly trying to beat each other in, you know, when it's their turn too. there's a competitive element to it, which heightens every game and steel sharpens steel. And so I'm going with uh, for my next choice is Mediterranean Sundance. And by the way, if I can intervene on that. It's all done on acoustic guitars. That's correct. That's correct. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's all acoustic. It's three guys sitting in three folding chairs. <laughs> and with just acoustic guitars. Now, with the level of shredding that they are doing, I mean, even on electric guitars, but they're all on acoustic guitars, and they're killing, yeah. slaying. And it's, yes, oh, my God. What a great one. I'm yeah. jealous of your pick. <laughs> well, it's like they're being paid by the note, but there is something in there. And there's something when, when you come from that world of sort of like the Spanish style guitar, like the technique is off the charts, but it never feels to me gratuitous. 
they're creating this kind of sacred world, this, sac- this kind of cathedral of sound while they're doing it, all very conscious of the fact that they're making music while at the same time being very, very competitive with their technique in it. It's a pretty great song. If you haven't heard that one, check that one out. Please check that out. Yeah. What's your What's your next one, John? I'm going to say now, this was another one that I was like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> Paul Gilbert, Frenzy. Okay, it's yep. And scarified that thing that you were like, whoa, this is like incredible, you know? Yeah. And all of this stuff was done that Paul Gilbert was doing when he was a kid. A kid. Yeah, yeah. I have a son who's that age and we don't even let him use the remote. <laughs> Gilbert like doing this incredible stuff, you yeah. know? And I think it's really important us talking about this because there's kids that are listening to this and hopefully going to do some research as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And because it's important because I don't want this to go away. You yeah. know, it has to carry on. And it's these kids that are listening to this that are going to go, Oh, I'm going to check this out. And it's that one kid that puts on the guitar and he can play this stuff. And I've yeah. seen that like, you know, those guitar players, Tom, that like can down pick like insane. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's a natural thing that yeah. they have. It's a natural thing or their flexibility in their, uh, you know, left hand or, or something like mm-hmm. that. It's natural. And there's a lot of boys and girls that have this talent that is inside them. And hopefully they'll, you know, us talking about this, yeah, can- pick up the guitar and, and check it out can help them tap into it and maybe be inspired by somebody so the, my, my next my next instrumental is a little song called yyz by a band mm-hmm. called rush and i always remember being so proud of as a as a fan of rush as a fan of hard rock music that you know like growing up there was always a you know, you get sort of sideways glances from people if you liked metal or you liked hard rock. It's like you know it's the musicianship is not great and it's like it's sort of this sort of stepchild kind of music and then you would put on yyz it, you know and it showcases all three of the musicians at the absolute height of their powers and compositionally as well it's challenging it's a challenging piece of music where everybody shines and you know for those air drummers out there like it's your greatest dream to step into neil pert's shoes on this one you know and alex lyson and getty lee all just shining on this masterpiece and again when i was i was you know sometimes i'm driving around with my kids who have their tastes are they're 10 and 12 right now and their tastes are varied but they when i explained what was about to happen and then played this for them they recognized greatness in it you know they recognized greatness in it like this is something that is very different that's happening here that only these people are were able to create (laughs) right and that's what i'm talking about and you talking about this with your kids and them understanding that because it's not so hard to understand greatness you know Mm -hmm. you can hear it and go oh wow this is something that I'll listen to all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those three guys doing that, YYZ, is really, you know, something brilliant. I'm wondering if when they were working that out and they recorded that, if someone's idea in the band was like, 
What should we call this? I don't know. Let's name it <laughs> <the> airport. <laughs> That's so funny. That is so funny. It's, it's a good idea for the future. Maybe for one of my next songs, I'll I'll name it LAX. LAX. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I did not know it was YYZ like the Toronto airport or something like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did, I, ne- I learned something new on this podcast today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> okay, so what is your what is your um, your next jam? I would say a little song called Eruption. Ah, yes, we've never heard of it. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, another now. This is just a guitar solo. It's not really a song. You know, it's got some drums in the intro and things like that. It doesn't have any bass or anything. So it's not, it's just a guitar solo. Now, this is so great. This solo, I should say, is so great that it became a hit on the radio too. They'll play that before you really got me. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard like a guitar solo that's in rotation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty incredible. And it is well deserved. And that will be something that will live on forever. Yeah. Van Halen will be immortal. You know, he will live on forever for, you know, well deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Coming onto the scene with that going Oh my God, just imagine if we were in at the whiskey or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be like, Oh my God. Right, right, right. Well, I remember, I mean, I remember getting the, re- I heard, you know, running with the devil on the radio in Chicago, went out and got the record, you know, put the needle down and then that occurs. And, you know, everyone, there was no internet reference. There was no explanation. It was not a band that was popular enough to be featured regularly in rock magazines. You had no idea what the fuck was going on. It was clearly like that was a guitar. Probably. It really completely reinvented the instrument and made, you know, until that's one of the things I, I was always sick of. Often my favorite guitar players in magazines would say it's all been done before, but it was proved wrong forever by that. He's just a guy that, you know, an inspired genius who, you know, redefined the engine. He just looked at the instrument in an entirely different way that made me think later on, like, well, are there other ways still to look at the instrument, you know, and other possibilities that we can wring from this thing? It's just a piece of wood. It's some wires, some electronics, one or two effects pedals. Let's see how far the goalposts can really go out. It is something that you will never, I don't care who you are, you will never master that instrument. and. That's what's so special. And not just guitar, drums, bass, violin, piano, anything. And that is what is incredible. Because anybody can get to the top level of a video game or sure. things like this. But this is like something that you'll never like reach that thing where you just can conquer this instrument. Yeah. And like you were saying, when you came on the scene, I hate to embarrass you like this, but like that was a whole nother thing too. It's like, what is going on? This is how he's doing this. And that is, and it was just incredible. So it's these guitar players that I pray will keep coming onto the scene. And it's so important. It's so important to me. And I just hope it's, you know, important to everyone else in the world because it, it just, I hope it never goes away. Yeah, yeah. My final one, we probably should have ended on eruption. That would have been a nice, a nice exclamation point to think. But I'm going to, it is an unusual instrumental because it's very, very short and it's an introduction for another song, but it starts a record. It's a song called The Hellion by Judas Priest. And I think that there's no better 
introduction to heavy metal like than that song. It has a sort of a symphonic quality to it and sort of the intersecting guitars. I was listening to it the other day and was just reminded of nothing jacks me up more than the beginning of the Hellion and just letting me know that metal's awesome and more metal's about to come. <laughs> right. So that'll be my final one. Well, John, it is always lovely speaking with you and, and thank you very much. And thank you for keeping the uh, guitar fires burning. It's always a pleasure to, if, if you haven't seen John Five play, go see him play, go see him play with Rob Zombie or watch his Instagram because it is a pleasure to watch you play guitar and your mastery of multiple styles is just pretty fantastic. And it's always lovely. Whether we do it now on another podcast or back at the Rainbow, I look forward to talking more rock with you at any time in the future, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Okay, take care, man. Safe travels out there. All, All right. right. Bye, John. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower Podcast. My guest has been the lovely and talented John Five. Until next time, brothers and sisters, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the Sirius XM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.